In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Imagine that you are talking to a friend. Maybe she jumps right in, or maybe she waits until the end of the conversation. But you can tell that something is wrong. Her tone of voice changes, and she says, I have some bad news. Dad has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. He was able to hide it from us as long as mother was alive. But now it's obvious that he doesn't always know who or where he is. I feel like I'm watching a little bit of him slip away every day. Please pray for us. Oh my, you say, I am so sorry. That sounds so hard. I will pray for you and your father. Please let me know if there is anything else that I can do. And when you are alone and the conversation has ended, you pause, take a deep breath, just to catch up with your feelings. But now you have a decision to make. How, how are you going to pray for your friend? and her father. Our first instincts are to pray for a miracle. You might turn to the pages of the Book of Common Prayer that are dedicated to the ministration of the sick and look for the prayer that recites Jesus having raised Lazarus from the dead and calls on God to restore your friend's father to physical and mental health and to give him a long and fruitful life. This is, after all, what we really want. It's a good prayer. It's honest. It comes from a place of love. And it stands solidly in the Christian tradition. It's not always satisfying, though. You are aware of the course that Alzheimer's normally runs. Curses are rare, cures are rare, and perversely, hoping that things will get better can often make them worse by making it harder for the family to be present to their loved ones during this long, and painful journey. You might go looking for another prayer. Maybe this time you will look for one that recites the anguish that Jesus felt in the face of evil and suffering and calls on God to be present to your friend and her father and to give them the strength and confidence that they will need to be 
to continue to be present to God and to each other. It's important to get the being with part. It doesn't help to minimize, explain away, or find a solution for the pain or loss that your friend and her family are suffering. A large part of what your friend is asking you to do is just to be with her. She knows deep down that watching her father slowly slip away is going to break her heart. She wants to know that she is not going to be alone as she faces this future with her father. Something is still missing, though. I wonder if at some level we don't resent having to bring this up with God. Why should we have to start the conversation and then wait around for God to answer? We don't even expect God to answer our prayer when we make the request. Instead, we say these words, hoping that God will do something later. We might feel some comfort or consolation when we ask, but we know that it's unlikely that we will actually get what we asked for. In fact, it seems that the more specific the request, the more likely the answer will be some version of no. What if we have gotten God all wrong? What if we've gotten God all wrong? If you think about it, this doesn't sound like how God the God of Israel that Jesus called Father, acts in the Bible. From the creation stories in Genesis to the resurrection stories in the Gospels, God is constantly taking the initiative. God is always going first. God creates, calls, comforts, cures, charges, changes, cajoles, accumulates. And then it is God who waits for us to respond. Imagine a clear night sky. You stare up into the starry heavens and you are filled with awe and wonder. Without even thinking about it, a prayer of gratitude just emerges from you. You know then that you are not starting a conversation. God started the conversation in the beginning, when creation began. You are responding to God. You are responding to a conversation that started a long time ago. Indeed, the story of the early church seems to be largely about the growing awareness that Jesus allows us to talk to God in a new way. 
in a different way. The first words Jesus taught his disciples to pray were, Our Father. The early churches learned that to be with God meant to stand where Jesus stands and to say what Jesus says. And by doing that, they came to realize that they weren't really the ones praying. Jesus was the one praying in and through them. The act of prayer is primarily about letting our self-centered hopes and dreams gradually align with the self-giving action of Jesus. Okay, you say, I get that God started a conversation by creating us. And I get that the early churches came to understand prayer as Jesus praying in them. But I don't get what that has to do with me praying for my friend or her father. After all, wasn't I supposed to raise them up before God and ask for help? This is the very point that I want to challenge. The key is to remember that God is already there. When you encounter pain and suffering in your own life or in the life of another, God is already present, already there, already active. God is already suffering with them. In fact, God is the one who reaches out to us from that place of need and struggle and asks us to join in. The feelings of empathy, compassion, and fear that you felt when your friend told you about her father are triggered by God. God is the catalyst for our care and concern for others. God is the one who moves us to offer our love to them by praying for them. God then receives the love we offer and combines it with the other influences to give life to our friends and their families, both in this world and in the next. If we can make this move, the move from thinking that prayer is a conversation in which we speak to God and God listens to us, to an understanding that in reality, it is God speaking to us and our listening to God, then we can begin to see something else about God something more. For this is when the metaphor of prayer as a conversation with God breaks down. It no longer works. It's not that prayer 
is a conversation in which God speaks and we listen. God is not speaking to us like another person might, and we are not replying to God the way we might reply to another person. God is the conversation. God is the conversation. Now, I think I can give you an example of what this means in the story of the transfiguration of our Lord. And I know some of you are saying, I thought you were never going to get there. (laughs) But picture the painting that scripture renders. Jesus takes Peter and James and John up on top of the mountain where they see him talking to Moses and Elijah. They seem to be looking through a window into the divine life of God, seeing the connections between Jesus, the one they knew and loved, Moses and Elijah, the ones who have gone before. And of course, they do exactly what we did when we looked for the prayer for a miracle. They wanted to do something. So Peter, God love him, jumps up and says, let's build booths, let's build dwellings, let's honor this moment by doing something. And the cloud descends and the voice of God can be heard saying, this is my son, listen to him. Now you recognize this voice. It is the same voice that we heard when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan. And the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And we hear the voice say, this is my son, in whom I am delighted. And there we have, in both of these pictures, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. God is not one because God is three. And that makes a difference because it is in the relationship among the three, the love, the care, the self-giving, the living for, the being with that is the love of God. You might think of the Trinity as a conversation where each is speaking and listening and responding to the other in perfect unity. The conversation is already happening. The story of the transfiguration is that we are invited not to start a conversation with God, but to enter into the conversation that the Trinity are already having. We are invited by God to enter into that conversation to let God work in and through us so that our face too will radiate with the love of God. We will so lose ourselves and our own fears and isolation that we will be filled with the love of God and it will radiate from our faces. So what about your decision? 
on how to pray for your friend and her father. Pray for a miracle, but don't stop there. Pray for God to be with you and with her and with her father and with their family, but don't stop there. The real prayer is that they too enter the conversation that is the love of God. That this experience, as tragic and painful and horrible as it is, will nevertheless be a window into the life of God. Jesus tells you that we must tells us that we must lose our life to save our lives. And that is an experience that we can have, even in the midst of pain and suffering. So finally, offer a prayer for your friend and her father that this experience may be a window into the life of God, that they may feel the presence of God that shows them a truth they never before experienced, that leads them to care with patience and love and compassion that they never before had. It won't be easy, but it is possible. It is the eternal life that God provides that she will see in her father's eyes from time to time. The radiance of the presence of God that she will see in her father's face from time to time. And in the end, she will know that life is changed but not ended. Amen.